Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast brought to you by State Farm. Just like football, life can be unpredictable. That's why State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents. A local State Farm agent could be just around the block, whether you're talking person by phone or through the app. State Farm is there. Go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Meanwhile, Star Wars, Jedi, Fallen Order, the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment available now on a quest to rebuild the Jedi Order. Players will wield a lightsaber, hone iconic force powers, and embark on a classic Star Wars adventure across the galaxy. Become a Jedi in Star Wars. Jedi Fallen Order available now on Xbox One, PS4, and PC rated T for teen. Speaking of Star Wars, Binge Mode, Star Wars. That's the name of a podcast we do at The Ringer. Mallory Rubin, Jason Concepcion. Holy shit, they've done 14 episodes already. Uh, they are diving through all the Star Wars movies and all of the culture surrounding them. And they're doing a little Mandalorian as well. Kyle, you like that show, right? I love that show. So good. You love it. So good. It's like a nine out of 10 for you. Appointment TV. Yeah. They're breaking that down. Speaking of breaking stuff down, the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast put up two la on Tuesday, both relating to James Harden. One was a pyramid podcast with Zach Lowe, my old friend from Grantland. The other one was a rewatchables of the last three games of the 2012 Western Finals. Me and Joe House broke down a surprisingly emotional and uh, poignant Game six, especially with uh, with OKC finishing off San Antonio, it seemed like a passing in the guard, and then it wasn't. So you can listen to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Coming up, we have a whole bunch of things happening. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, so we're taping this uh, Thursday afternoon, PT. Last night, I went to Clips Celtics in LA. It's been a tradition of mine. It's actually 17 years since I moved to um, Los Angeles. This week, I moved here on November 16, 2002. It was 80 degrees. I moved here to work for Jimmy Kimmel show. I rented a car at the airport. I had all my stuff in it. I drove to see him at his office, was greeted by him and Corolla. Um, the sun was shining. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'd lived on the East Coast my whole life. And obviously a big part of my life in Boston had been the Celtics. I had been going to Celtic games since I was four years old. I wrote about this in my book. My dad bought one season ticket when I was four years old. It was $4 a game. Carried me into the games from the 73-74 season on. Won the title that year, FYI. Um, and moving to LA, one of the hardest things for me was not going to Celtic games. I went to a million of them. Um, saw the entire Bird era. Saw the terrible Patino era, ML Carr, uh, the comeback era with Pierce and Antoine. And um, it was just a huge part of my life. And the Celtics-Clippers games, I think I've been to every single one of them except one. There was one I missed for work reasons maybe three or four years ago, unfortunately. But I, I've been to 16 of the 17 since I moved here. And 
it was a really important thing for me in the first few years I moved here because I'd never lived in a place that wasn't um, obviously New England. Um, I'd never really not been around Boston fans. And um, except for a time when I went to high school in Connecticut, and even then there were Boston fans there. It was always Boston fans everywhere. Moved to LA, there were Boston transplants here, but you could, the Celtics Clipper games was when they would come out because Celtics Lakers, impossible to get Laker tickets. Clippers, especially 2002, three, four, that range, very easy to get tickets, very available. And this is before secondary markets, but the first Celtic Clipper game I went to, I was shocked by how many Celtics fans were there. And it really was kind of emotional. It was like, holy shit, look at this. Green jerseys. I felt like I was home. And uh, I ended up getting Clippers season tickets in 2004. And it became a sacred game for me. I wanted to go every year. And it just reminded me of, you know, 32 years in the East Coast before I moved out here. So never expected that the Clippers would become a contender. Um much less the best team in the league, which I think they are. And they have major, major star power. And I kept these tickets and kept them. And Mike Tolan, my friend who I shared the tickets with, I was going to give them up in 08 or 09. It just seemed like the biggest waste of money of all time. Could not give them away to anybody. I mean, literally anybody. Like the gardener wouldn't take them. Um, And then Blake Griffin showed up, got a little more fun. Chris Paul showed up. At least they were relevant. It wasn't very fun to go to the games, but at least they were competitive and there were some playoff games, stuff like that. Then they trade Blake and it looks like they're going to rebuild. And we are now in the secondary market era where it's so easy to get corporate tickets. And then we start seriously thinking about, should we give these up again? Well, you know what happens next. They get uh, Kawhi, they get Paul George, and they're the best team in the league, I think. So yesterday... Um, had a chance, thanks to our friends at SeatGeek, to sit next to the Celtics bench. And I took my son. He had the seat next to the last guy on the bench. This is the first time I'd ever sat next to the players like that. I've I've sat courtside before. And it's a really weird experience because you can hear every Like, there's amazing parts to it. You can hear everything um, that's within, I would say, 20 feet of you. You get a real feel for the physicality is what really jumps out. I was lucky enough to sit courtside for a couple of the Warriors Cavs finals games and talked about it before in the pod, but you see LeBron on TV versus LeBron in person and especially LeBron 20 feet away from you banging into dudes and he weighs 280 pounds. He's six foot nine and it's intense. And you just think like, holy shit, like the, these guys, I'm sure football is the same way. If you saw an NFL game, if you were, you know, at the sidelines for Rams Ravens on Monday night and they're running a sweep to your side and somebody's just getting annihilated and you'd be like, oh my God, that's what it's like to see basketball when you're that close with some of these dudes. So the highlight of the game from uh, from sitting next to the Celtics bench, other than when my son successfully pulled off an incredible handshake with Javante Green. I've never been more proud of him. Um, terrible call against the Celtics. It was a Paul George basically barrels in the Daniel Tice, they don't call it, or pushes off, I can't remember. Daniel Tice goes fine, no call. Coming back, it leads to a three by the Clippers. Comes back down. Stevens, who, you know, is like a choir boy, never gets mad, follows the ref from midcourt all the way down to the baseline right in front of us. 
and he goes, Hey, Nick, you fucked that up. And Nick turns around, gives him a T right in front of my son. And my son was like, that was awesome. <laughs> the Celtics coach swore. So yeah. So he, we, uh, we left and we went to get sushi and then, uh, on the way home, he was just uh, imitating Brad Stevens. So it was great. What a great experience. Last night, um, Celts Clippers felt like a playoff game and was incredibly intense and incredibly physical and hit a point where I think both teams kind of realized there was at least a puncher's chance they might be seeing each other again in June. I think the East is really wide open and I think the Celtics team is really good. And whether... Um, they need to make a trade or not is up for debate. I personally am not sure they need to make a trade yet. If they, if there's a spot to improve, it's probably the Brad Wanamaker spot, the backup point guard. Not, I'm not positive. I would trust him in a playoff series. And I think that's a pretty easy spot to improve. The consensus is that they need a big guy. And I'm not really sure that's true because Daniel Tice, who's healthy this year has been excellent. Um, I know that's a weird thing to hear, but I'm just telling you, he's been really good. And, and, he was a real handful for the Clippers last night. Robert Williams, second-year player, he's pretty good. He's he's At least you can play him in a game like that. And then Cantor has been in a bunch of big games. You can post him up. The point is, the Celtics are, I think, deeper than people realize, even without Hayward. They're really athletic, and they know what they're doing. They can switch on defense. They're really well-coached. They shoot a ton of threes, and they're hard to play. They slash and kick stuff. They're really, really, really relentless. And they brought out, I thought, the best in the Clippers. And what we saw last night with the Clippers, the Paul George Kawhi thing, we talked about it on the paper. Kawhi's the best money player in the league right now for the the one guy you'd want in the playoffs, at least. Paul George was a top 10 guy last year, was an MVP candidate even for a little bit. And we knew what it would be like when they were together that, oh yeah, that's going to be incredible. These two guys who can create their own shot and then guard wings on the other team at the highest possible level, that, that's going to be ridiculous. Well, we saw it last night. We saw, you know, you have Tatum and Brown on one end, who I talked about a little bit on Tuesday, I think have been a revelation this season. Jonathan Jarks wrote about them on The Ringer. They um, are really, really, really good two-way players already. Tatum is somebody who can create his own shot and has hot streaks like he had last night, where I think he had like 19 in the third quarter, 17 or 19, and can just take over a game. Jalen Brown can't do that, but has a lot of similarities to where Kawhi was the first couple of years of his career offensively. Like he's definitely getting better. He's getting better as a three-point shooter. He's better at crashing the paint and uh, getting to the rim, all that stuff. But they're going against Kawhi and Paul George. And Kawhi, I would say... I've seen him now in person four times, got a real close look at him last night. And um, I would say he's 85%, 80%. I don't think his leg is 100%. Maybe it never will be. I also don't think it matters. I made the point the other day that uh, he's kind of late 90s Bulls Michael Jordan-ish now where he understands his body, what he can and can't do. He's playing at his own pace. He's doing what he wants to do in a game at the speed that he wants to do it. And it doesn't really matter that he's 85%. Paul George looks great. Um, he didn't shoot that well last night, but, um, but as two way players, those guys are the standard for wings. So you had this really interesting dynamic last night where you have Tatum and Brown who 
are still scratching the surface talent-wise, I think, what they can be. And then Kawhi and Paul George, who are fully realized products and in their primes. And it was a little like watching, you know, the the 12th graders on a high school team going against the two awesome 10th graders who two years from now are going to be running the high school, but right now are still have to get by the 12th graders. So you had that dynamic. You had Patrick Beverly on one side of Marcus Smart on the other, which was just in, outstanding. And those guys were all over the place. Um, and Beverly really seemed to take the Kemba Walker thing personally. It was a problem in a whole bunch of ways. Kemba did not have a good game. But around the third quarter, this game got super competitive because both sides, need, nobody shot well. The Celtics missed, I would say, 16 straight threes in the first quarter or first half. Third quarter, it started, it was on. Tatum started cooking. Clippers are throwing everybody at him. Doesn't matter. He's making shots. Clippers start getting going on the other side. And all of a sudden, it became a game seven. And it was incredibly intense. And it was really fun sitting on the bench, watching and listening to the guys who weren't playing, just interacting with the game and really locked in. And Wanamaker was playing well. And the team really likes Wanamaker. So they're yelling encouragement to him, Marcus, all that stuff. And at one point, Smart was sitting out. Grant Williams set a great pick for, I can't remember who, who got an open jumper, Clipper timeout. And as he's setting the pick, Marcus Smart is screaming, that's a great pick. That's a great, yeah. Or it was great screen. I'm sorry. Great screen, great screen. Yeah, great screen. He stands up. He's yelling great screen at Grant Williams. And, uh, and the team was really confident and really thought they could win. And then the Clippers... Beverly just starts making threes, which is ridiculous. He never, he, he's, he's been a brick house this year, but he was awesome yesterday. And you see why the Clippers are going to be so terrifying when we get to the playoffs if they keep everyone healthy because they put out Paul George, Kawhi, Harrell, and Lou Williams. So they have a screen and roll game with Harrell and Williams, which is probably the best screen and roll right now of anyone in the league, unless it's Luka Doncic with fill in the blank. You have that, but then you also have Kawhi who can get his shot now anytime he wants at the speed he wants. And you have Paul George who averaged 28 points a game last year. And it's almost like an embarrassment of riches offensively. And then defensively, they can switch with anybody. And they have to hide Lou Williams a little bit, but the but Kawhi and, uh, and Paul George and even Harrell are so good at, at running around and covering for people that that didn't matter. And the Celtics, the last four minutes just could not get a good shot. Um, they got a little bit swallowed up and that was, this was where the Hayward thing really comes in because Hayward was playing the best at anyone in the team offensively before he got hurt in a game like that. I think they would have run the offense through Hayward, use Kemba off picks, um, tried to post up Tatum, and if you have, if you have uh, Tatum, Hayward, and Jalen Brown out there all at the same time, Lou Williams has to guard one of those three people, and that would have been the mismatch. But they didn't have it. They instead they had Marcus Smart out there. Um, the point is, this was a way higher level of a basketball game than you're normally going to get in mid-November. This felt like a game you would see in April or May. I am really really bullish on the Celtics. I think they have a chance to win the East. And I, I say that um, not as a homer, just as somebody who's watched all these basketball games. Um, 
I'm I'm always the first guy to admit when the Celtics don't have it. I think this team is really good and really dangerous and really hard to play. And more importantly, on defense, they can get stops. And even last night, the Clips really had to make a couple tough shots just to keep that game going their way. Um, and on the Clippers side, we're now looking at a situation where Clippers, Lakers in the playoffs, if everyone can stay healthy, which is a big if, I, I still have real doubts about Davis being able to stay healthy for eight months. But the combination of Davis and LeBron right now and how overpowering they've been, just two really, really physical guys who know what the fuck they're doing. Um, and the supporting cast is not great, but whatever. I, I don't honestly don't know if it's going to matter because you're going to see in the playoffs games like the one we watched last night where you have two teams that know how to defend, that know every single play the other team's going to run. And it comes down to honestly phys- physicality, talent, know-how, um, savvy. And the Lakers Clippers is going to be Absolutely incredible. It really has a chance to be the best playoff series in a few years. I I thought Rockets Warriors, as dramatic as those series were, I never really felt like those two teams brought the best out of each other. Um, I think the best series of this decade, and we talked about this in the Book of Basketball podcast, from just a pure basketball standpoint, was Spurs and uh, Oklahoma City. Just from a pure, all people on the floor who could score and um, play off each other and the defense that was being played and the athleticism and the contrast of the old school Spurs against this new new type of Thunder team was really great. I think Clips Lakers could be really, really, really great if everybody can stay healthy. And then you look at the East. The East is going to be really fun because... Philly had Philly is a really goofy roster as broken down by Zach loaded at ESPN that has so much talent. You have to take them seriously. Not sure they're well coached. I don't think they are, but they still have to be taken seriously. They have Embiid. And if you had Embiid in a game like last night, nobody in the Clippers would have been able to guard him. They would have had to play Zubach. Um, the Bucks have the Giannis thing, but watching the Clippers and how they could play defense last night, I, I just think they would, you know, if the Bucks got to the final against the Clippers, I just think they would be able to take out Giannis and make it really hard for him to do what he does. Uh, Toronto, who knows what they're going to do, but I think they're really good. And Siakam has been an all-NBA guy. And then uh, Miami is, has a trade to make. And Boston, Hayward's coming back. They have only lost three games and really shouldn't have lost two of them. I felt like they should have won last night. The referees were just horrific. Um, and they had their chances and it was a 50-50 game. Either team could have won. They're going to be in the mix. So, um, but I thought it was certainly the best Clippers Celtics game I've seen out of the 17 years that I've been here from a, from a talent standpoint, from an intensity standpoint, it was just really great. It really was. Uh, and it was great sitting there. My son got into it. He was wearing a Celtics Jersey. He's doing high fives with a couple of the players. And, uh, it was just a really cool experience, but I, I just wouldn't be shocked if the, these teams play one more time in Boston. I would not be shocked if this ended up being the uh, finals. So we're going to take a break, then we're going to come back with uh, Mally Rubin. Hey, if you've been thinking about your home security, there's no better time to get it than right now. Simply Safe Home Security giving our listeners an amazing, exclusive Black Friday offer. 
You'll get 25% off any new system plus a free HD security camera. Simply Safe has everything you need to keep your home safe. Entry sensors, motion sensors, a smart lock that locks your door and you forget. Video doorbells plus 24-7 professional monitoring that will dispatch police three and a half times faster. I know it's made Nephew Kyle's life a lot easier. Oh, so much. Simply Safe doesn't God. have to worry about weird dudes wandering into his apartment at no. three in the morning. No way. Plus, everybody's taped. Don't wait. Go to simplysafe.com slash BS to get 25% off plus a free security camera. It's the best home security deal you'll see. Don't miss this amazing Black Friday deal. Simplysafe.com slash BS. Since we're here, I wanted to mention the rewatchables. We uh, put up Skyfall this week. Last week, we had uh, we had the holiday with uh, my wife was involved in that one, actually. So if you're Jones and for rewatchables, the holiday and Skyfall both up there now. All right, we're going to bring in uh, the Mother of Dragons. Here we go. All right, Mallory Rubin is here. She does Mallory's Most Intriguing just about every week here on the last episode of each week. Hello. Heading into the NFL uh, weekend. Bad news for you. What? It's a Lamar free zone this week. You're not allowed to mention him. Get one week with no Lamar. Listen. You can't. That's it. I don't need to mention him. Yeah. There you go. He's always in my heart. Yeah. He's in the that, mind. You're already mentioning him too much. You brought him up. I just said. You're not allowed to mention him this week. Um, <laughs> although he does have a big game against the Rams. Yeah. Monday Who Night Football. Who do you feel the worst for if you had to rank the QBs that you would feel bad for? Trubisky? Mm-hmm. Jared Goff, mm-hmm. Philip Rivers. Just in general? Who do you just feel bad for? Just as a human being who has empathy. I'm not sure any of them would be the top of my list. I'd still pick Eli, I think. Eli? Yeah. Oh, this is great. It's just. Which it's not part, how you which part go do you out. feel bad? It's not how you want to go out. You know, so like, because when, when you said Rivers, it sort of made me think about not being able to maybe stage the graceful exit that you want at the end. And I don't know if it's the end for Phillip Rivers, but it, we're at the point in the season, multiple picks, not playing well, not able to lead the final drive where you have to at least wonder. And then you think about the guy who hasn't even been able to make it this far into the year, his eternal peer and comp, Eli Manning. But And then Roethlisberger. I yeah, will never Tough say. Ending I for, will never say I feel bad for Ben No, I'm saying I'm saying that draft just <laughs> yeah. that class just got ended this yeah. year. Yeah. Well, you know, we were in the era of the the eternal quarterback as 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 Kevin Clark likes to say, you know, the idea of sort of the ageless wonder at the most important position in sports and that's still true in some ways, obviously, your boy Tom Brady out there forever. And Breeze. Just the TB12 diet and nothing else keeping him strong. Nothing else. Nothing else at all. Lives strong. a good life, but the youth movement is upon us. Listen, can let's talk about the all-time QBs who were accused of having PDs mailed to their house to their wife's name. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's not on that list. Well, um, that's one of your favorite sports stories, isn't it? Phil Rivers second in passing yards. Sure. Phil Rivers fifteen touchdowns. Okay. Phil Rivers. 14 picks. Yeah. Have you watched the last couple games? Some of the worst throws. Yeah. Like that, that pass that ended, I was going nuts on Monday night because I was going against Keenan Allen in fantasy. He needed one more point. Mm -hmm. They're going down the field. I'm losing my mind. I thought for sure it was going to be the Keenan Allen crossing route for Mm -hmm. the TD. 
throw, he just throws it right to the Chiefs. It was supposed to be one of those corner loft passes. Right. No loft. <laughs> just right to the guy. There are too many throws from him in the last couple of weeks where it's much easier to tell which defender is in the proximity of the ball than which offensive player on his own team was yeah. maybe the intended target. So I, I still say of the names you threw out, though, I guess I would pick Biscuit. I do feel for Biscuit, who should not be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's really sad. The, it's what's crazy about that Rivers in the last one was Winston threw the exact same interception right. on the exact same side of the field in the exact same way, but Mike Evans was the guy. And Mike Evans was so mad after. I th actually thought it was going to be a bigger story. He like had a tantrum after and he was screaming at Rivers. Like, what are you doing? Who are you throwing that to? He had no chance at it. Um, it seems like it's done for Rivers. And I wonder like if it had been the Rivers for from two years ago, how mm -hmm. different their record would be because this has been multiple times now this season. Part of it too is you look ahead to what the future is, trying to draw fans, heading into a new stadium, trying to establish a footprint in the city. Good luck. Well, good luck, sure. But also, you the easiest path to being able to do that is a young quarterback that people are excited about. So that's at some point, it, it does have to be something that they start to think about, especially, you know, obviously the quarterback classes. Um, well, can I give you this? Less than it was before the Tua injury, obviously, which is an upsetting thing. But you're still heading into a couple consecutive elite quarterback classes in the draft. Can I give you this about Phil Rivers? Please. I've said this before. I'm stealing my own point. If he retires at the end of this year, yeah. which I would never tell anyone to retire, but if he does, mm -hmm. huge win for us as football fans from a television analyst standpoint, I think he could immediately be good. Interesting. I thought you were going to say something completely different. I thought you were going to say the NFL needs its version of LeBron. And what I mean by that obviously is not a skill comp, but stick around long enough for one of your children to join you in oh, the league. That would have been good too. <laughs> you know? And Phil Rivers has enough children that yeah, at a certain them. point it's possible, you know? One of them has a chance. No, I, I he think- He would be a great broadcaster. I think he has Romo potential. I, I think they're different. I think Romo's probably funnier, but Phil Rivers is kind of what we thought Favre would have had a chance to be before we realized Favre- I think he'd take it too many hits. I think that the key difference between He's Rivers and guy. Romo is just the charm factor. Yeah. Like Romo is eminently likable and charming. And I think, you know, Phil Rivers is fun and has had an extraordinary NFL career. But I don't think he's somebody that a lot of people like. But here's why. They, because of stuff he does on the field. Yeah. And when he gets mad at refs or other receivers or whatever. You but don't think he would bring that same brash no, persona because, into the booth? Because he's a really good interview. And yeah. I think if you're a really good interview, you're going to be a good analyst. He's and certainly never dull. That's true. No. Yeah. He's got, he's always has good sound bites. He's always thoughtful. And I think he could be really good at it. I think the best thing about him in the booth, in addition to just the football IQ, is that he'd be completely unafraid to ever piss anybody off. Like right. he's not going to care if a, a, a judgmental thing that he says about a coach's game plan or something he says about the officials or even a player is going to maybe make its way back to that person and then cause a shitstorm for him. He shouts those things to people's faces right now, routinely, including his own teammates. So well, that part's appealing. I agree with you. If you flipped him for Bradshaw right now, that's a better show. Oh, I mean... The Bradshaw thing is just kind of sad about, You could say that about a now. cantaloupe. Is that too mean? <laughs> Bradshaw gave a pick two weeks ago. I was watching the end of their thing. That was mean. And he picked... <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. Just kidding. He picked a team against another team, but they weren't playing each other. Oh. 
And yeah. this was like the only part of the segment. All you have to do is remember his pick. You didn't have any empathy as somebody who could never remember where a game is being played? No. No? You were like, just, that's my kin right there? That's <laughs> just understand. me forgetting the look of the game. I at least remember who's playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Patrick Mahomes for MVP. Are you trying to piss me off immediately? No. You know that. My answer is that Lamar Jackson is currently the MVP of the National Football League. I know he is. I'm not allowed to mention him. So he, I guess I'll have to say, you want me to pull a Voldemort or something? No, I'm just throwing this out. You must not be named. You know who? Lamar, everyone has now decided Lamar is the MVP. That's not true. But we have six weeks left or five weeks? Five weeks. Five weeks left. This is week week 12. 12. Yeah. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. No, six weeks left. Lamar is minus one ten. So basically, you bet a hundred, you bet hundred ten, you win hundred. Even odds. Okay. Russell Wilson plus one eighty. Mahomes is plus a thousand, ten to one. Okay. Just laying this groundwork out. What about Watson? Watson is fifteen to one. Rogers fifteen to one. Prescott twenty to one. Nobody else is going to mm. win the MVP. Okay. Um, here's the case for Mahomes. He's actually having a really good statistical season. I think he's 19 TDs and two picks. He's in shouting distance of everybody from yardage. That team is probably has a chance to win. They're probably a 10-win team, but there's a door open where he just gets hot down the stretch and they win six straight and he ends up. And at some point, three weeks from now, people go, hey, why can't Pat Mahomes win the MVP? As you know, it's all about the narrative. So could he get hot? Uh, yes, he could get hot. He is, I think, a victim. You you brought up the idea of the narrative of the MVP. I, I think that it's actually a little bit similar to uh, a college football comp, to Heisman voting, for Mahomes specifically. Because, okay, think about Andrew Locke when he was putting up astonishing numbers at Stanford yeah. when he was in college. Is it safe to mention Andrew Locke to you on this mm-hmm. podcast yet? Okay, good. He's He did the Colts a lot of good by retiring. I've certainly made enough money out of it. At some point, you set the bar so high through the sheer force of your own achievement that you're not actually measured against your competitors. You're measured against yourself and your own history. The LeBron James factor. And, yeah. And so that's that's what Mahomes is. That was what luck, the, the, the hurdle that he couldn't clear. And when you talk about the idea of a repeat Heisman winner, obviously luck did not win, but guys who managed to win. We swung to seeing sophomores win. It used to be impossible. Redshirt freshmen. Can they then get another one? They're always measured against what they did the year that they won, and it becomes basically impossible. And so Mahomes shattered all these records last year, established a template for what he's able to do, and that's the thing he's going to be measured against, and he's not going to, meet, he's not going to come close to meeting those numbers. Five games left. Home for Oakland, win. At New England, potential like they win 38 to 30 or something and he has an awesome game and that's when the narrative would start. Home for Denver, at Chicago, home for the Chargers. They're seven and four. 12 and four is not like unrealistic. I'm just trying trying to figure out. Certainly he'll be in the mix. I think if other people fall off. 
Well, so I'm trying to figure out a world in which Lamar does win the MVP. Because here's Lamar's last... Well, a couple, a few really tough games coming up. Right. So Lamar has the Rams. Rams, Niners, Bills. Minus three and a half point favorites in LA. Mm -hmm. Monday Night Football. Home San Francisco at Buffalo. And then home Jets at Cleveland, home Pittsburgh, which last three get a little easier. But he's got six left. The next three games are against strong defenses. So that's a huge test. If he comes out of that stretch still as the leader, I think it's his. And if he stumbles, I think it will be in these next three weeks. The yeah. thing, the difference, the biggest difference to me between this Ravens team and the prior Ravens teams, obviously the actual biggest difference is that Lamar is the most electrifying player in the sport. Stop. But the other difference is that you have confidence going into the games that they should win, that they will win them running away, which was not true even for playoff teams under Flacco. It was always going to be, oh my God. And even earlier this season, losing to the Browns, right? So I look at the end of the season and I don't have quite the terror that I typically would around those division games. The next three weeks are the key. I can't believe Marty Mortenweg wanted to switch him to receiver. I, I'm not doing this. That was nuts. You. This is absolutely That was crazy. Just bullshit. <laughs> this is fucking bullshit. It's a lie. It's not true. And I will not let you or anyone else. I, I just, I read it on the internet. Tear this Ravens team apart. Right yeah, on everything internet. on the internet is true. <laughs> Get out of uh, here. Get out of here. Do, do you have any Tom Brady concerns? As, not as uh, somebody in the Ravens who is hoping that he's washed up, but <laughs> as somebody, a neutral observer, wondering why the Patriots aren't better? I will only arrive at that point if he's playing this way in the playoffs. Until then, I have no concerns. I just don't think it's a it's a healthy mental exercise to delude yourself into believing that Tom Brady might actually be at the point of decline as a fan of an opposing team. You that that way lies madness and heartache. I won't do it. I won't do it. Uh, all right, we're gonna take a break. Then come back. Mallory's gonna do most trick. Pepsi takes all NFL celebrations to the next level. Whether it's a Hail Mary touchdown, a defensive stop on the goal line, or a Super Bowl win, when it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open a Pepsi. As I've mentioned many times in this podcast, my favorite celebrator ever was Billy White Shoes Johnson, who invented the hold the ball up over his head and uh, wiggle his legs back and forth after he scored a touchdown. As a little kid, I was dying to see this anytime they broke into a game. My two favorite things when I was a little kid were that and the alley-oop passes to Har Harold Carmichael. You know who that is, Kyle? Eagles wide receiver. He was 6'8". And it was the original lob pass in the corner, but it actually worked because the guy was a foot taller than all the defensive backs. Sweet. And it was like brilliant. And those are the two favorite things I love to watch. Anyway, God bless Billy Wedge. Shoes Johnson. Pepsi, the official sponsor of the NFL, reminds you to always be celebrating. Okay, what do you got? Okay, well, that's a nice segue, actually, into number five this week, which is a college football item, a draft item, and also a shame on the NCAA item. Chase Young makes his return for Ohio State this weekend after his criminally absurd suspension. Chase Young, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, including potentially the person I'm doing this podcast with. I know, we know the Chase Young story. <laughs> He's back. Come I'm on. I'm just kidding. Stop. Giving you a hard time. I know how to read the ESPN ticker. <laughs> Defensive end for Ohio State. I think in terms of talent, 
just pure talent. So the difference between a big board and a mock draft, he's the number one player in the draft. Mm. That doesn't mean he will go number one because I think it's safe to assume that Joe Burrow, whichever quarterback ends up being top of the quarterback class, will go number one to the Bengals, provided that things play out as they're currently playing out. And in a QB class this loaded and with this many teams tanking and needing to reset a quarterback, you're going to see quarterback go atop the draft. I think there's a really, really good chance that Chase Young goes number two. Certainly that he's going to be the first player taken other than a quarterback. Number two would be the Redskins. Yeah. Well, I mean, plenty of time for another team to get in there. A lot mm. of bad teams, but we'll see. Or or for whichever team ends up at two to trade the pick. Though, most likely the team trading up and want a quarterback. He, this is the game to tune in and watch him. Ohio State, Penn State, battle of two top 10 teams, Big Ten showdown, college football playoff implications. Ohio State is currently ranked second in the top four in the playoff mix. Chase Young was suspended on this actually the same day that initially James Weissman from Memphis before he ended up saying, fuck it, I'm playing. And then was later subsequently deemed ineligible. They were initially deemed ineligible on the the same day. And it was just this moment where as a college sports fan, you say, how is it possible that we're still here, that the NCAA exists in this fashion? This is why I don't care about college anything. It's, it becomes very challenging. It becomes hard. Chase Young got, in trouble for uh, a family friend giving him money so that he could buy his girlfriend a plane ticket to watch him play in the Rose Bowl last season. That's what this was about. He paid the money back, still had to sit two games. It's ridiculous. So other than watching him to support him and show your disdain for the NCAA and the continued mishandling of amateurism, which is a blight on our sporting society... He is one of the most talented college football players maybe in the history of time. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's true. So you could just look at it from the Ohio State perspective as a starting spot. Who were the last couple Ohio State defensive ends who got drafted really high? The Bosa brothers, right? Joey and then Nick. He's, I think he's better than both of them. He's just unbelievable to watch. You should treat yourself. Bosa brother. Treat yourself to a few minutes. The size, speed, combo. I have a newsflash for you. I've seen Penn State play this year. There you go. I watched the game they lost. Well, they're going to have Minnesota. a, they're going to have a, that's right. Oh my God. My friends Megan here. Schuster will be so delighted to hear this. We watched it. As Penn a PJ State, Fleck fan. Penn State almost came back. Their quarterback wasn't quite good enough. That's correct. Chase Young is going to be a problem. That's I, my I, college football yeah, That's take. exactly right, Bill. I got news for you. <laughs> was You're not on impressed it. by the Penn State quarterback, whatever his name was. <laughs> You're on it, Clifford. You're on it immediately. I think that Penn State is going to have an immensely challenging time. And I think also this is going to be a statement game for Chase Young where he's coming back and saying, because the thing is, he was actually in... He, he was having a, uh, a Tyron Matthew Honey Badger and Dominican Sue kind of defensive player college football season where it was so, so dominant that he had actually made his way into the Heisman Trophy conversation, which is, you know, might, Unusual, seem, yeah. Yeah, might seem irrelevant, but really do- is a testament to what you're achieving as a defensive player. And there was a moment, I believe two or three weeks ago, it was a few weeks ago, where um, PFF's Mike Renner, known also on this podcast as the football analyst who went on The Bachelorette, wrote a piece about how (laughs) in the entire history of PFF tracking college football players, they'd never had someone graded as high as Chase Young. He was actually breaking their metrics. Like, he's extraordinary. So tune in. Great. Start scouting. Watch him chase Defensive talents. It'll be great. Overmatch PSU quarterback. Fuck the NCAA. Paterno's not coaching them anymore, right? Who's their coach now? What are you doing? James Franklin. Okay. Come on. I I didn't see the sideline. I didn't see who's on there. (sighs) 
I don't know if they're propping up Paterno's corpse in the games. Mercifully not. The, with the chalk, with the chalkboard. Mercifully I mean, not. Uh, clipboard. No. Number four. Yeah. Asterisk Spygate. Yeah. This isn't just an unbelievable thing. I've been I've been uh, following it intently, and I like every that day. There's a new update. Rob Manfred now is going to look at the last three seasons. Won't won't I'm, limit this'll it. Go, this will go great. 2017, what 2018, and 2019. Cheaters. But my my manager's involved. Well, this my is, manager might have started it. This is one of the things about the story that makes it really worth tracking if you're invested in baseball at all. The the net casts pretty far. You know, you have your involvement. Because people leave every year in baseball. Like Mike Fears was one of the one that... That's right. He went on the record Mike in the athletic, in the athletic Fires, piece. sorry. Yeah. And what did Carlos Beltran in his introductory press conference as Mets manager had to answer questions about this. I, you know, I hate to even say this out loud, but my Orioles manager, Mike Goliath, was a member of this Astros oh, front listen, office. That'd be the best thing that happened to Orioles this decade to be involved in some sort of cheating scandal. What the, what are you talking about? The, you, the best you, thing that happened to the Orioles this decade. The best thing that happened to the Orioles this decade wasn't having the best record in fucking baseball for five years. No. When was that? What are you talking about? Five years. How many playoff wins? Enough. <laughs> I said sometimes in the middle of the day, I realize I'm just staring into the distance, thinking about sweeping the Tigers. You swept the Tigers. I don't even remember that. Yes. Oh, congrats. Thank you. That was great. That it was great. What a day. You know, anytime you want to just spend three hours talking to me about the Orioles beating you, Darvish, in the AL wildcard game, I'd be I'd be delighted to. What S- memories? Still the best sporting experience of my life, Bill. So this Astros thing, yeah. it would be like if we were doing the Ringer Podcast Network mm-hmm. and we were just completely cheating on downloads and all the producers and the hosts knew, but then people were leaving for different jobs. At some point, it's going to come out. And with this baseball thing, so many people were involved... What the fuck were they thinking? How did they not think this was going to come out? But we need to extend the analogy even further to account for the bald-faced nature of it. Because the way that... So there was the camera pointing at the catcher. The trash can slamming against the wall. Broadcasting the feed into the hallway behind the dugout. And then if they saw... If someone watching that monitor saw that an off-speed bitch was coming, they would bang the trash can lid. So the equivalent of the download analogy would be like... Kyle saying on mic to you so that other people right. could detect and hear this is how many Bumping I've added. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> just the audacity well, did, of what they we, were doing. We just had it in the playoffs in 2019. The Yankees manager got uh, Aaron Boone got testy with the Astros. And then they were like, we've settled it. I, I didn't mean anything by it. But clearly the Yankees were obsessed with this during their series. Well, it's it's been... It's been pretty pervasive for the Astros the last few years. I mean, obviously, the guy who was kicked out of the camera well yeah. a- against the Sox. This was, that was last postseason. And, you know, even things like the number of pitchers who they faced this postseason class now was one example, who was, were, they were tipping their pitches and Bregman, players in the Astros, were, were, you could see clearly how they were communicating about it. Now, that is obviously different. That falls under basically acceptable sanctioned. Uh, it's not even spycraft at that point. It's your ability to capitalize on a mistake that your, your competitor is making, right? It's within the bounds 
You know um, what's not in the bands? A camera in center field. Well, that's that literally. That's relaying, <laughs> relaying the pitches. That people literally the is not in bounds. I mean, Guess what? That's not legal. It's against. It's against rules that well, were implemented in the last few the, seasons. Could they strip the title if they found this I, was really bad? I don't think that that That'd is be amazing. possible. The Ringer baseball crew, editors and writers were actually talking about this today. I don't think there's a version. I mean, I don't know, but I don't think there's a version of this where we get any kind of comp for like USC losing the title and Reggie Bush losing the Heisman. I don't see anything like that happening, but I think the fines are definitely coming. I think the real question is, will they lose draft picks? You know, what is the... Yeah. Because the fine is is They should nothing. lose all kinds of shit. What are, I mean, what are we talking about? Here's the other thing. I Apologies if anyone else mentioned this. 100th anniversary of the 1919 Black Sox. That's and right. this is probably the biggest baseball team scandal that actually affected wins and losses we've had I don't know. in a I, long time. I don't think that this will come close to approaching how people feel about the steroid era. You know? But everyone was doing the steroid era. Well, I guess one of the questions is, are other Every people doing had this dudes. too? You know? And that's, I, that is one of the things that I think is facing Manfred. And one of mm. the... One of the reasons that he maybe will be more inclined to make some sort of example out of them, you know, if if the the concern is that there's some sort of creep with these practices, because again, completely uh, understood to fall within the confines of acceptable sportsmanship and practice. If you're a runner on second base and you see what sign the catcher is putting down and you yeah. buff your batter, that's part of it. But when you bring electronics into it, when you bring tech into it, when you violate an actual rule that says you're not allowed to do those things, it's beyond the pale at that point. And then. The thing with the Astros, I mean, this is obviously, this is completely, completely different. I actually don't want to make the comparison to what happened during the postseason with their assistant GM who was eventually fired and yeah. that whole story. That's different. But all of you kind of can't help but say it does feel like every few weeks or a few months, there's some new story with the Astros. And so there's this, this pal, you know, hanging over the organization. And then you have something like this week with the owner meetings going on. And Jim Crane, the Astros owner, refusing to answer questions about this and reports surfacing Very that he's, you know, using a police escort to get past our scrum of reporters and that the reporters feel like the hotel management is threatening to kick them out of the hotel. They're there to cover it. They're there to do their jobs. You know, at a certain point, it's like, well, where is the accountability for any of it? And that, I think almost more than the transgression itself becomes the thing that people rightly focus on. Where is the accountability? Counter. Get ready to cut, clip this one, Kyle. Clip this. This one going right to the podcast hall of fame at this point. Wow. Calling your shot like Babe Ruth. I kind of like it. We needed a villain. I hate the Astros now. Between the Asuna clubhouse thing and this cheating thing, now it's like I just – I'm glad we have a villain back. I hate the Yankees, but the Yankees are like the roster they've assembled now. Is, it's really hard to hate Aaron Judge. It is hard to hate Aaron Judge. It's, it's really hard to hate Torres. Like, I hate them because they're but wearing the, Yankee uniform, but, but, but I, I don't dislike the players they have. But you don't dislike the players on the Astros either, right? Now I mean, I do. with a couple I think they're exceptions. I mean, I'm, I'm anti Astros. I think this is fun. I think. Baseball is so freaking boring unless you're really into it and die hard or fantasy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But nobody cares about other teams in baseball. You just care about your own team. And now I care about the Astros and them going down. They become the Patriots of of Major sure. League Baseball, yeah. so which we needed. Bauman wrote a really good piece about this, Michael Bauman, for The Ringer recently. The idea that part of, if you're, again, if you're not an Astros fan, you're not invested in their success in any way, 
part of what is so galling about this is the greed, right? It's like the hubris aspect of it. And they're so, they're so ready and willing to kind of boast and peacock and puff their chests about how smart they are. Right. We're better at this than you. And so there is something We have a book about us, Moneyball. <laughs> yeah, no, no more, what was that one called? Astro Ball. Yeah, the Ben Ryder book. Yeah. There is something satisfying about seeing that kind of smug approach come back and bite them. I agree with that. But at the end of the day, I love watching baseball and I love watching George Springer and Jose Altuve and... Bregman and Correa and Verlander. I, I I love watching those guys play. Cheater and cheater oh and cheater God. and the other cheater and okay. cheater. You're just angry that the Red Sox are going to trade Mookie Betts and I'm not you're angry. channeling your dismay wherever I you can. I don't. I don't support whole scale cheating. You My just team. said you do. You think it's a good thing? <laughs> no, I think it's a good thing that we have a villain. Yeah, I like that. There's a bad guy is right. back. But I miss having a bad guy in baseball. Now it's like every time we can make. Means Cheating and ends, jokes, man. Get to flip all the stuff people did with the Pats. Mm-hmm. Never proven, by the way. Oh, my God. I mean, this is the hypocrisy One game. right now. That One you, game. a Patriots fan, would be saying this. One game. Broke a rule. Paid the price. Weren't supposed to take that first Jets game in 07. Mm-hmm. Got caught. Yeah. Sorry about that. Here's our first round pick. One game. Astros did it for three straight years. Garbage cans, <laughs> paint chipping off walls. The garbage can thing is really unbelievable. <laughs> there are some great, if anybody hasn't seen it, there's some great clips, Google this, go online, people who have spliced together footage from the games where this is happening. And you'll have, you know, the left pan of the, the video will be the pitcher. You'll see that the change up or some sort of off-speed pitch is coming. And you will hear as the catcher is putting down the sign and the batter is getting ready, you will hear this banging. It's so obvious. There's nothing subtle Jesus. about it at all. What's number three? Number three. We're behind schedule now. I'm sorry. It's my fault. Shocking. I got fired up about that one. Number three. Well, this will be, this can be a very quick one. Pop culture one. Yeah. Watchmen. Really heating up. It's extraordinary. Are you watching? No, we're done. Okay. Next one. Number two. Well, I'll give you a 10 second sales pitch. Yeah. You should be watching. Okay. Because it is, I think, a really, we'll see how the season, the season concludes, but so far, a really remarkable example of the way to continue revisiting IP, finding that connective tissue to a thing that exists already that people love, and also establishing a totally new footprint and a totally new thing. And I think you down that, with that Kyle? Oh, I love this. I love this show. It's I think that midway dope. through the season in particular, Lindelof, the writing team, Jeff Jensen, which if you're a Lost fan, it's like so cool to see him making something. His Lost columns were like part of how I got into all of this in the first place. Court Jefferson, really interesting writer's room. The ability to say this isn't just a remake of the movie. It's not just a, a faithful adaptation of the comic. We're going to connect back to those things that you're already invested in and then build this whole new world and put a modern spin with the issues and themes of the day that matter to you as the person watching it now, I think it's I think it's really, really smart and really well done, and the world is completely immersive. Check it out. That was in 10 seconds. I'm not checking <laughs> out until you watch The Affair. I will watch The Affair. No, it's on my DVR. I'm not. The, uh, the only person I've talked about The Affair with is my mom. It's the only other person <laughs> who's seen it. <laughs> it's the worst season of television I've ever watched. Oh, my We're God. Gonna, Amanda Dobbins is coming up in a second. We're going to talk about The Morning Show, which mm-hmm. is the second worst uh, season of TV I've watched in a while. Wow. And we are now entering the phase of peak bad TV because those two shows were iconically awful. 
The affair is I, inexplicable, and I can't wait for you to watch it. As, as you You're know, you're gonna be texting me all weekend with yes. photos from the show. I will be live texting you my updates as I watch. I recently was scrolling through my camera roll actually, and I saw I came across the like 85 pictures of Kevin Costner from my rewatchables <laughs> prep for for Love of the Game, and did not delete any of them. Number two. <laughs> Number two. Will the pass interference replay continue to be one of the defining things of the season in the worst possible way? Like, it seems like we're at the point with it where there's absolutely no chance that it gets better. There are not a lot of things. Basketball having the same problem. They added these coaches challenges and it's just made the sport more confusing. And there's one in the Celtic Clipper game last night. They just fucked it up. And it's like, so now we're delaying the game even more and we're not even getting this right when we do it. Right. So that's really the thing with the pass interference situation. Somehow, instead of fixing the problem, they they compounded it and made it worse. Still not getting the calls right in the first place, but now you're not getting them right on review, which, you know, we're all people sitting there watching the replay 16 times at home at that point, and there's absolutely no justification for not getting the call right to the point where we've kind of entered mass conspiracy culture with this as yeah. as football fans where it does it, it, it's kind of hard not to wonder if the refs are doing this as a deliberate fuck you for the policy being introduced in the first place or if they killed Jeffrey Epstein <sighs> you know every now and then I scroll through your Twitter and like one of the, the just for my personal exercise is like how many tweets between each Epstein tweet like, will it be more than six? What's the over-under on how far I have to scroll to get to the next What Epstein was my tweet? first tweet since Epstein didn't kill himself? Well, you sent an Epstein tweet like two days ago. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> Maybe even a day ago. He's still alive. He's in like Mexico. Oh, my God. Okay. Kyle? <laughs> I mean, murdered maybe. I don't know. God. I fully support the Epstein conspiracy culture, but go ahead. With the pass interference thing... You know, the Marlon Humphrey Hopkins play was the big one from last weekend that really led to Which, by the way, you, you would have beaten them by 20 instead of 27. That was stupid. It's exhausting. But it was pass interference, of course. Yeah. So ev- pretty much everybody who's interviewed about this speaks in the sternest way possible about how broken the system is. And it's just become a complete embarrassment for the sport where the credibility is on the line every minute roll it back. You know, where it's a one-year trial. It's ended early. doesn't seem like there's any... Mays and Clark were talking about this on the Ringer NFL show earlier in the week. There's, It doesn't seem like there's a way forward. So let's just concede defeat and go backward, right? So here's the problem. There's no commissioner. Roger Goodell is basically like a ghost ship. How many times have you even heard his name in the past year or two years? He stays out of everything now. Well, he his, wasn't. His whole job is to intervene with stuff like this. He's supposed to protect the good of the game for both sides, right? I mean, ostensibly, he works for the owners, but he's supposed to protect both sides. This is something that is, as you said, everybody is like, this is broken. Yeah. So where is it? Well, you know, he was an advocate for the, the rule change in the first place. The the leader of the charge was Sean Payton, obviously, because the, the all of this stemmed from what happened yeah. in the Rams Saints game last postseason. Yeah, because he wanted to reflect the fact that they should fucking win the game anyway and blew it nine other ways. But thirty one of thirty two voted in favor of the rule. I get it. 
And, but that that actually to me makes it more remarkable and, and just more notable that we've swung that quickly and that fully to the point where whether it's Hopkins sending the tweet that he sent after the game, you know, I well, let's see what did he say? He said, "As a leader in the NFL, we need someone new in New York deciding calls." Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty intense thing to say. Any coach who's interviewed, even um, you know Kingsbury, was one of the rare coaches who's won one of these, mm. and he was. He was stunned. And when, when when he was asked about it after the game, he was basically like, I can't believe that actually worked. It's at the point where if the rule is actually implemented in a way that leads to the correct outcome, it's astonishing to people. I don't know how we got there. It's There's no leadership at all. It was poorly thought out. And they haven't stuck with it. And it's a huge waste of time. And it seems like a conspiracy to have more commercials. <sighs> Interesting. Conspiracy to have more commercials. I just think they want the games to be longer. I think it's in their interest. I think ratings don't go down when the games are longer, and all of these sports are trying to figure out ways to make the games go longer. Prove hmm. me wrong. Huh. Yeah. Well, okay. It's like, what's fun about this? Who's like the Clippers-Celtics game yesterday? There must have been five challenges. You know yeah. how fucking boring it is when you're at the game? Pace of play and is it's a just like, disaster There was right one thing. It was seven minutes. And they're just playing music. And at one point, the fans started booing because it was an awesome game. Right. We were like, can we can we watch the awesome game again? The difference, though, with the NFL is that I think most fans are in favor because of the way that replay has long been used in the sport of being able to review things if it actually leads to getting the call right. Like, nobody was like, oh, well, my God, I'm old enough to remember Mike Renfro. Before your time. Mm -hmm. You weren't born yet. Mm -mm. Houston, Pittsburgh. Oilers should have beaten Pittsburgh that year. They got screwed on a Mike Renfro. Incompleted. It was a touchdown. Right. And that's when this, that was the genesis of all of this. Because that actually swung, swung the Super Bowl. That, that, you know what? That, that's the other thing. Like, we spent so long as football fans, football fans in this just sort of, constant existential dread over what is a catch. Yeah. And adding more aspects of the game into that bucket where we're now like, wait, what is pass interference? That's just not something that we should be questioning. There's always going to be a bit of subjectivity, of course. That's the nature of the sport. We're not actually sending robots out there to call balls and strikes or to officiate games. That's you next. Know, there's not currently a sensor in the tip of the ball for football. Maybe there will be. But while human error is a part of the game, there's some degree as a fan of, of accepting that, if not embracing Here's it. The funny this is different because you you are reviewing it. You're sending it to other people to say, get this right, and they're not doing it. But the, the funniest thing about this is they're so meticulous about this part, and then you watch how they do first downs, and they're still doing it like they did in 1910. Right. And these guys are like, ah, I think it was here, and they just put the ball down. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, the ball wasn't there. It was six six feet back. Um. It's all stupid. Anyway, next one. Last one. It's very, it's very bad. Number one, huge weekend for the NFC playoff pecking order. Yeah. We got, Seattle Eagles is, I'm about to do that million dollar picks. We got a handful of games. Packers, Niners. Yeah. Sunday Night Football, certainly the one of the games of the day. Cowboys, Pats. Obviously, that's a huge yeah. one for the Cowboys because the Eagles are, while they are struggling, they are not out of it yet. And the Cowboys need to continue to try to separate in the division. You worried about that game, Kyle? Yes. I'm not doing that million dollar picks. Yes. 
I feel like we could lose that one. Yeah. That line's that's, six and a half. It feels like it should be like three and a half. That's the test of the season so far for Dak, you know, as he creeps into the MVP conversation. Really chasing, good secondary. Chasing that con- that that contract. He's been playing extraordinarily well. Riley Maxey wrote a great piece for The Ringer about how he's the, the analytics darling of the season. Well, and I'll tell you, the Pats, facing the Pats secondary is... But the Pats secondary hasn't had to face a team that had three receivers playing well at the same time like this for as long as Cobb is going to stay in the field. I liked your suggestion on Sunday about just putting Cobb on ice until you need him. Keep him yeah, healthy. Just, yeah, it's good. Just sending him away. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm Randall Cobb is one of my, I need to draft this person in fantasy basically so every lovable. single year. I just can't resist. And I there's also caught him. few weeks. I called him Reggie Cobb on the first three years of the BS podcast back at ESPN. I just kept calling him Reggie for some reason. That's just because you weren't it's watching those block. Kentucky games, scouting him when he was in college football. Mental I'm going to turn you into a, a, an enthusiastic college football consumer one of these days. I'm going to. It's going to be the great achievement of my life. We need, with the NFC, we need somebody to lose a dumb game right. so we don't just know who the six playoff teams are. Because right now it's like the five plus right. whoever wins between Dallas and Philly. Well, you have we need like a dumb loss soon. The Rams somebody. against the Ravens, the Eagles against the Seahawks, even like the Panthers in their game. You have a lot of teams right now that are still in it, but really need wins, can't afford too many more losses. And so those games are interesting to watch. One of the things that I, I'm really intrigued by with the Packers-Niners game yeah, is, you know, I think all of us have spent all season talking about the Vikings as the wild card team. But yeah. if the Packers drop this game, right, like we're it's completely within the realm of possibility that the Vikings could still take the division and the Packers could fall down to the wild card. Yeah, and I think also just the the play caller matchup in that game with Lafleur and Shanahan is just super exciting. If you're I was a looking football at the, nerd, I was looking at the Packers schedule, thinking that same thought: yeah. like, could they actually fall out of the playoffs? Could this be a spiral? Their next two are at the Giants, home for Washington, and then they're home for Chicago. Yeah, they have a favorable slate. For at sure. Minnesota, at Detroit. So they're getting in. That's happening. They're, yeah, but it's it's still a question of of whether they could fall to the wild card. Yeah. Potentially. But I was like thinking more like, oh, I wonder if they could actually fall out of the playoffs, but that's not happening. Um, all right, we're going to do million-dollar picks right after this break. Okay, everyone loves a gift that they can feel good in and good about. All birds, stylish, comfortable, sustainable. You can't go wrong. Streamlined design, versatile. You know you look great anytime you lace them up. They come in a wide range of colors inspired by nature. A variety of silhouettes to keep you looking your best in whatever situation you find yourself in this holiday season. Ladies, the tree breezers are your new go-to flats. They will have you feeling like the bell of the ball at any holiday party. Meanwhile, the wool runners, which are made from ZQ certified merino wool, will help you stay warm while the Mizzle Connection, complete with Puddle Guard, will help you stay prepared through winter's unpredictable weather. You know, not only are these comfortable as hell, but I love that they've created all these new words, Puddle Guard and Mizzle. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Allbirds. Just adding stuff to the dictionary. What a brand. Uh, Allbirds, the perfect gift to make the holidays a little more comfortable for everyone on your list. Give the gift of comfort this holiday season or get a pair for yourself at Allbirds. All right, so we're going to do Million Dollar Picks. Mallory's going to join for this one. Last week, I was down like $1.7 because I had some bad luck with two big bets. Right. As often happens with gambling. Did the Hail Mary on the Pats money the line. line. 3.3 yep. win 1.75. Once again, a recurring theme over the last two decades, me and gambling, 
the Patriots bailed me out. Mm-hmm. They just continue to do it. I'm happy for you. Back to even. Okay. Excited for the stretch run. Have some really nice thoughts. It's a lot of pressure. I don't think that I've ever once given you good gambling. You're advice. not. I'm just going to bounce stuff off you. Okay. Um, I wanted to mention, even though people will... So this would be a good test, right? People won't hear this until late tonight. The Colts game will already happen. I love the Colts tonight. Okay. Well, but I mean, you're Indianapolis gone. Colts. Three and a half. Your adopted team. I like the kid Williams. So people listen to this now, they'll laugh if he has 16 rushes for 10 yards. But I think I think they're going to be fine. I think they could beat Houston. I had anyway. the top waiver pick in one of my leagues and I picked him up. It was good. He yeah. was good last week. Actually, I need to make sure right now as we're talking that he's in my lineup. Hold on. <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm not doing anything with the Pats this week. As I said earlier, the line is the line is too high. Okay. They're six and a half point favorites. I don't totally get it. The offense does not look good. Mm-hmm. I actually think Dallas can rush Brady a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they should be able to run with Zeke and Pollard on the Pats and try to control the game. I think this is a really winnable game for Dallas. I think the hopefully the Pats will win, but uh, but I this game scares me for a lot of different reasons. I also think. Boy, this makes me nervous to say this. It hurts my soul. I think there's going to be some Cowboy fans there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I think the... The secondary market, the Northeast, there's a lot of like Dallas Giants fans. Dallas never plays in New England. And Kyle, I think there's going to be like 15,000 Dallas fans there. That's a big number. 15,000. I do. I think it's going to be like 20%. That's a lot. They're going to be spread around, but they'll be there. A lot of health questions to monitor for the the Cowboys right now, but it seems like that's all trending in their favor. It's, yeah. you know, the reports could certainly change in the back half of the week here, but it seems like, it seems like Amari Cooper, Demarcus Lawrence, Collins are all probably going to be fit enough to play. So I, I like the Cowboys. I like them too. I'm not putting them in because I don't bet against the Pats on million dollar picks. <laughs> so we're not, we're staying away from that. Here's who I like for, uh, for week 12. Okay. And it's it's nice to be back, by the way, with no pressure of being down. <laughs> First one. Yeah. I just think Seattle, this scares me because it's too obvious. Mm-hmm. I don't like that the line is Seattle plus one. I don't understand why Seattle is not a three-point favorite in this game. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody betting on Philly in this game from what we've seen the last couple of weeks. Why are you making a face? Well, I'm just particularly confounded by it with the Seahawks coming off a bye. So you have that Philly's receivers are just awful. Yeah, terrible. I mean, awful. They, the last couple uh, couple quarters of that game, they Wentz had nobody to throw to other than Zach Ertz. They just double-teamed Zach Ertz. I don't, Lane Johnson, I assume, is coming back, but the numbers of when he disappears are alarming. Yes. Um, and I just don't think they're that good, honestly. I really don't. I didn't think the Pats played well last week, and they still you know, one, not convincingly, but right. they won on the road. They gave up 10 points. So the Eagles are at home and the Seahawks have been involved in basically all close games. That's the explanation here. I think so from a DVO, DVOA standpoint, the advanced metrics, Seattle's eighth, mm-hmm. Philly's 10th. And I do think there was a time when DVOA didn't factor into the lines, but now they do. And I do think people look at that. Mm-hmm. But what I don't get is it says Philly has the 11th ranked offense, which I'm sure they do. But I don't think if you were just do- ranking offenses right now, they would not be in the top half. Well, I mean. It's, it's a lot of earlier production that probably skews that yeah, a little bit. They've, they've lost 
Deshaun Jackson to the injury. Jeffries banged up. Aguilar hasn't caught a pass since, he was, since like, he was at USC. Yeah, shouldn't play. I feel bad for him. I thought he was when he was in college. I thought he was going to be just an extraordinary. He's the Contavious Caldwell Pope of uh, of of the Eagles. And Jeffrey, either he's not going to play, or if he does play, he's going to just be limping around like Fred Sanford. Um, good, I just don't good. see I mean, it. The, I the, think Seattle's good, and if you look at Seattle week by week, they've just pulled out close games. Over and over and over again. Yeah, I like Seattle. I do. I guess with the Eagles offense, there's been a little bit of a, you know, inverse correlation between the the pat, the receiver health and production dipping, but the running backs figuring it out a little bit. Yeah. Metcalf last couple of weeks has been terrific. Wilson's still in the MVP race. Not that that's going to yeah. affect how hard he tries. The other thing is we talked earlier about the NFC. It's not like Seattle doesn't need the game. No, they need they're, the game. They're in an arms race with San Francisco. San Francisco is playing Green Bay. I I actually like Green Bay in that game. I'm not going to bet on them. But they have a chance to leapfrog to right. the number one spot if they win this. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the same thing that's true for the Packers and Vikings is also true for the, the Seahawks and Niners. And then looking at the rest of their schedule, at Minnesota, I'm sorry, home from Minnesota on ESPN Monday night, at the Rams and then at Carolina home, Arizona home, San Francisco. There's a, like a 13 and three season in play for this team, which is crazy. Cause again, all of their games have been close, but they've just shown a knack for pulling them out. The other thing for the Seahawks that I think is really encouraging is that Clowney seems to be figuring it out. Yes. That's he was really good last year. Pretty thrilling way. Yeah. Um, they've really only played one bad game this season against, uh, your Ravens. That's right. That was it. And I, I, I think part of that was they didn't really expect what was going. What was the potential of what might happen there? But anyway, I am uh, putting four hundred thousand dollars on Seattle plus one. Okay. Next game, Denver continues to be the best value team in the league. Okay. They uh, <laughs> week by week. Yeah. They lose to the Raiders by eight. They were in that game the whole time. They lose to the Bears by two. Game mm-hmm. they totally choked. Lose to Green Bay by 11. They were in that game as well. Lose to Jacksonville by two. Should have won. Beat the Chargers. Beat Tennessee. Get killed by KC. That's their one bad game. Lose to Indianapolis by two. Game they could have won. Beat Cleveland. Blow a 20-point lead to Minnesota. That was tough. Let me say, as someone who is married to a Broncos fan. Yeah difficult few hours. Yeah. Tough one. <laughs> Very tough one. They're the best bad team and they're playing Buffalo who I think is the worst good team. Interesting. Not sold on Buffalo at all. Buffalo laying four in Buffalo to Denver. And I think Denver can win the game. I like getting the points, but it's at Buffalo yeah. and you're still asking Brandon Allen to go against that bill's defense. Not sure. I'm asking him to do anything. I'm just asking him to not turn the ball over. And are we sure the Bills' defense is that good, by the way? We're sure? We're sure they're that good? Because <laughs> last week they gave up 20 to Miami, mm-hmm. 19 to Cleveland, oh, 9 to Washington. Philly put up 31 on them. That was a strange know. game, though. We're sure they're good? Defensively? What are they, DVOA? DVOA, by the way, they are uh, 25th. 14th defensively. They are 23rd uh, offensively. Right. Denver is actually eight spots higher than DVOA. And now we're at the DVOA sample size where it's mm-hmm. like, 
we have 11 weeks of stuff to look at. So I don't know. I just think it's an either or game and I'm taking Denver for 300K. I like a lot about what the Broncos are doing on offense right now with the skill position guys, kind of your your boy Sutton among them, Fant clicking, finding an identity. Sutton's I, excellent. He's great. His pass last week, extraordinary. He's a, and they were they double teamed him basically the entire end of the game just right. to take him out. I think that as is so often the case with the Broncos in recent years under Elway, you arrive at a crisis point about identity and planning though. Like, Brandon Allen is not the future at quarterback. He's he's playing fine. But at some point... We call him Allen number three in this Allen podcast. number three. That's, that's, that's sorry. Excuse me. Is Drew Locke going to get into a football game this season? Now, he had the do thumb injury. Do that last two weeks. But why? No. See, I, I totally disagree. No, I'm saying if you're going to ever do it, do it. I still think they the have a chance to go like seven and nine. he is healthy enough to play, he needs to be out there. Because obviously it's not Flacco and it's not going to be Allen. You need to figure out if you're drafting a quarterback or if Locke is the future. You, ha- you, have, a, you have an obligation to figure that out. And they're already blowing it. And I think that that's it's the kind of thing is where— Is he healthy enough to play? Well, the th- the thumb injury is a real thing, but yeah. at a certain point, it's it, you have to see, right? You got to get him out here and see. And now, and Fangio is saying, "Oh, it's not, it's not imperative that he plays this season." I, I find that alarming, and I think it's going to be the kind of thing that starts to dominate the discussion around the team. Now, maybe you're right. If they go on the road, they win in Buffalo. Suddenly, they're semi-competitive. You have a little bit of like a Falcons-esque <laughs> resurgence right. where you start to respect them a the bit. The dangerous Falcons. And then you can justify continuing to keep Allen out there. But I don't know. You're still putting, putting a guy who grew his hands ahead of the draft in there over someone you drafted in the second round. I'm putting 300 and then plus four. Um, okay. you met, What was the team you just mentioned? Oh, the Falcons. Yeah. So they're Playing home. your favorite team. They're home playing my favorite team, the Tampa Bay Bucks. I've seen more snaps of the Bucks than any non-Bucks fan, I think. Your obsession with the Bucks is alarming to me. Um, that game, uh-huh. Bucks are plus 177 to win outright. Okay. Over-under is 51 and a half. Hmm. If you do Bucks and the over. Yeah, I would definitely take the over there. Parlayed together, it's plus 429. That's appealing. I'm going to put 100K on that just out of principle. Okay. <laughs> Bucks and the over. My man, Jameis. Oh, my God. He'll throw Stop it to it. his guys. He'll throw it to the other team. He's fun to watch. Put 100 on that. And then finally, mm-hmm. last but not least, okay. your Ravens. Hell yeah. Here in Los Angeles, Bill. Um, your Ravens laying three and a half points mm-hmm. against the Rams, who the life has just been beaten out of them by Jared Goff. Not true. They are back in the race. No, you're just saying this because you not try not to reverse drinks the Ravens. Coming off a big win. They're still alive. Coming and they- off a big win. That was like the <laughs> saddest win. It doesn't matter. A win is a win in the it was leisure a win all that the same. Felt like a loss. And they need this game, Bill. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'm on edge a little bit because they need the game. And a desperate team is always a little scary to, to face, you know. Well, I need to. I, this is the position I need to operate in as a fan. The good news is I'm removing the money line for you. Okay. I mean, I'm removing the spread and doing the money line, which is minus one seventy five. Okay. Parlaying that with New Orleans, which is minus five hundred at home against Carolina, all they have to do is win. Carolina is in a free fall. Yeah, and New Orleans is playing 
if you well. do those two together, it's almost even. It's minus 113. I'm going to be putting uh, 400 on that. So if I lose, I lose 452. If I win, I win 400. Baltimore and New Orleans, all they have to do is win. Okay. They both have to win. I win 400 on that. So the Makes picks. Makes me nervous. Baltimore, New Orleans, minus 113 parlay, 400K. Seattle, plus 1400K. Denver, plus 4, 300K. Tampa and the over, both have to hit the overs 51 and a half. Tampa has to win outright, plus 429. Those are my million dollar picks for week 12, coming off the biggest win we've ever had last week. <laughs> Mallory Rubin. I wish you luck, Bill. I can't believe you said I wasn't allowed to bring up Lamar and then you mentioned the Ravens like 67 times. Are you guys want to talk about Mandalorian for two seconds? Hell yeah. Sure. Spoiler warning. We got to no. do a spoiler no. warning. Just th- A plus, A, A minus. A plus. Redacted character I shan't name so as not to spoil it for the, the audience of the show is the cutest mm. fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Protect at all costs. Okay. I would die for this character. I would gladly lay down my life. Kyle knows what I'm talking about. Questions about the timeline, I guess. Clone. Okay. A minus? A pl- I mean, it's two, it's it's two so in far. and it's appointment TV. I'm waiting. So a plus. I'll say a plus. It's been great. So the far. Star Wars community is beside itself. It's been, it's been great. I've, I've really, you can really do been Star Wars it. this way, and that's cool. It's awesome. It's funny. Disney Plus versus Apple Plus. And we're going to talk about Morning Show in a second with Amanda. Uh, Apple Plus comes out and it's basically like, here's some bad shows. Can, can you pay us $5 a month? And Disney Plus is like, here's every Disney movie you've ever liked. Here's every Disney series you've ever liked. Here's The Simpsons. Yeah. And here's all the Marvel movies and yeah. all the Star Wars movies. It's incredible. Oh, and here's this new show, The Mandalorian, that you have to watch if you like Star Wars. It's pretty And great. you can bundle this with Hulu and ESPN. It's like, oh my God. You finish an episode of The Mandalorian and the algorithm just starts playing Empire Strikes Back for you. It's like fucking crack. Wow. <laughs> it's great. Unbelievable. Mallory, pleasure as always. All right, before we bring in Amanda, let's talk about FanDuel Sportsbook, the premier mobile sports betting app for a ton of reasons. They made it easy to sign up a deposit, ton of betting markets. Uh, they process your withdrawals quickly. They get your winnings. You can get your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Right now, it's only available in New Jersey, Indiana, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. And I repeat, right now, I bet more states are coming. But if you're in Philly for the uh, Philly-Seattle game, you can live bet the game right from your seats. Not a thought experiment. This is for realsies. Right now, FanDuel giving new users their first bet risk-free. Place any bet. They will refund you up to 500 bucks in site credit if you didn't win. When's the last time your book gave you a do-over? Ha! Uh, To claim your risk-free bet, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app from the iOS app store or visit fanduel.com slash Android. Be sure to use promo code BS to get your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Must be 21 plus physically present in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, or West Virginia. Applies to first wager only within seven days of sign-up. Max refund $500. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit. Expires 14 days after receipt. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Should also mention the Ringer Dish podcast, which Amanda Dobbins, who's about to come on, is frequently on. Uh, There's rumors of my daughter doing it for realsies next week, Kyle. I heard. I heard. I think it's going to happen. So uh, Ringer Dish is a really fun podcast. If you love celebrity culture and all that stuff, I would highly recommend it. All right, here's Amanda. Okay, so we're finishing this up. 
Uh, Amanda Dobbins and I have been circling each other now for two weeks. Yes. There's been a lot of texts. There's been conversations. We ran into each other on the street on the corner of Gower and Sunset and ended up in a seven minute morning show conversation as homeless people circled us. We were very animated outside of Denny's. Yeah, I think people thought we were, <laughs> maybe they didn't know what was going on with us. Um, this show, I'm, I'm obsessed with how weird and bad it is. It's called The Morning Show. If you haven't seen it yet, um, believe me, we're not going to spoil much. You should listen to this anyway, because this is more of an appreciation of when a lot of money for a television show goes wrong. And yet, we're enchanted and we can't stop watching. And yet it goes right. Yeah. Yeah. So the morning show is Apple Plus's, Apple TV Plus's like, quote, flagship show, which is just important to know in the sense of these people really believe they had something and they put a lot of money and marketing behind it. They hired Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell. Those are the people in the ads. It's like a, a big TV deal. 300 million bucks. It's been... Two and a half years they've been working on it. It yes. started in 2017. It was always supposed to be the flagship show. Uh, as often happens in Hollywood, there were rumors. Mm -hmm. People were coming and going. Writing staffs were being changed. There was a lot of red flags that yes. we've learned to obey over the years. The, the trailer came out, Reese Witherspoon's hair, which we think is a wig. I do believe it's a wig. Reasonably sure it's a wig. Yeah. Willa Paskin and Slate said that she thought the part was moving in it a couple different episodes. Yeah. That's usually a sign. Well, it's also, it's at one point she just shows up with a totally different length. And I mean, it's, she got a haircut, you know, it's not wild that the character would get a haircut, but they never mention it. It's just kind of like, oh, now your hair is a different texture. You've definitely gotten some highlights and you've cut it and it's never mentioned again. Yeah. Well, like a lot of things yeah. in this show that have episode four versus episode two and just things are different. Um, the most fascinating slash weird thing about this show is the Me Too thing happens mm -hmm. or the Me Too, I guess, what's the right word? Uh, the, era. Yes, the movement starts. The era, whatever. It starts right after they had already bought the rights to Brian Stelter's morning show book. And now they have a completely different show. Yes, because all of the information about Matt Lauer comes out, I believe, after they buy the rights to this book. And it's not, none of that is in the book itself. And after Steve Carell has yes. already signed up and checks are cashing. Yes. They're like, hey, Steve. So uh, we're going to have to change the character a little bit. Yes. So now it's a Me Too show with Steve Carell, with Jennifer Aniston, and then Reese Witherspoon is in there playing the young upstart. And unfortunately, she's only maybe four to five years younger than Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> and they don't really seem any, any different age-wise. But no. it's supposed to be like a Brie Larson, um, that kind of late 20s, I would think, would have been the character ideally. I think the way that they are pitting each other, pitting them against each other, which they are, even though you're, you know, not supposed to say that about two women, but there is a kind of the Jennifer Anderson character. Her name is Alex Levy, and she is the the established morning show host. She's been there for 15 years. And yep. Reese Witherspoon is the new woman on the scene who has different ideas about the, how it's going to be done. The new woman on the scene who... Has been on the scene for 20 years, yes, just true. doing local news, but somehow it's been discovered. 15, 15 she years. Says. Yeah. 15 years of just toiling away on local news, but she always was going to be a star. Can we talk about how she gets discovered? Yeah, go ahead. 
So she is a local like field reporter and she is doing a, a segment on a protest at a mine in West Virginia. She's from West Virginia. And she just has a total psychotic breakdown on air. She just starts With yelling. With a protester. Yeah, she starts yelling at a protester and it turns into a quote viral video. And it's so, actually her best acting on the whole show. <laughs> no, it's not. She, she, she's really good. <laughs> she's screaming so loud. At least she's trying. She's trying. But Reese Witherspoon actually can do like aggressive, angry right. women. And in this one, it's honestly just like she is screaming like, like she's sketch. in a horror movie. Yeah. And the, this whole thing, <laughs> this whole thing also, they're like creating a viral video and then it is, it becomes such a sensation that they have her on the morning show and then she becomes a figure. But it's very funny to watch old school, traditional TV programs try to like recreate the internet and recreate viral videos. And the number of times they say viral video and she went viral. And have you seen the, have you seen the views on this? Yeah. It's, um, it, it's an early sign of some things to come in terms of how they handle the media. So then you have Aniston, who's playing a character that has no parallel on television. I don't even know who this person's supposed to be or be a piece of. It's not anybody I've ever seen anywhere. She's not warm. No. She's not funny. She's not that likable, but she's an institution, apparently, allegedly. I I have no idea how she became an institution. She doesn't seem very smart. Like, she's... I, I don't know what, what is the hook? If it's, you had to say like, what's Alex's best skill? I have no idea. I I think it's just like wearing pantsuits, you know? <laughs> she, she does look very good. Her hair looks great in every episode, though I have some questions about her routine, which they show and she's blow drying her the hair. The 3.30? Yeah, but she's blow drying her hair before she goes to hair and makeup. I just don't think that's realistic. Anyway. It seems like she decided that this show is worth doing and this character is worth mm -hmm. playing because she was really fascinated by, man, it must be so hard to get up that early. <laughs> and how do you keep your skin looking great? And how does your face not get puffy? And man, can you imagine, how would you work out? Right. It'd be tough to be on that treadmill. And that was her, that was her motivation. I think that's true. I think the other thing in the, the Willa Paskin piece that you mentioned gets at this as well is that this show, if she's based on anyone, if Alex Levy is based on anyone, it's based on Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. And Jennifer Aniston was in, is involved as a producer on this show. And you can see her trying to make this America's sweetheart character about her relationship to America over the past 20 years. And, yeah. she, and I don't know that they're always doing it well because her relationship is as Alex Levy to the public changes every episode because Alex Levy changes every episode. I really honestly think some of it is that they filmed things out of order. Well, they filmed things out of order and then changed the writers. Exactly. So you have characters just behaving completely different than they did the previous episode. Right. And so something with, that was originally episode two is now in episode five and eight is in one and who really knows. But I think she gives this boardroom speech, which is, I mean, I know you just made a face and I feel that way as well. It's, it, it's hilarious. It's supposed to be her sort of big Sorkin monologue. Um, and it's supposed to be about women taking charge of their lives and the time for men is over. And it just feels like, do you know what the skim is? Yeah. So the skim is like a, it, they write My old news. My colleague Deirdre works for that. Yeah, but they, they kind of write it for women. And sometimes yeah. the news is not presented as, intellectually as you might want. Right. And it kind of feels like they took 
a girl power speech and then just dumbed it down as much as possible so that they just have Jennifer Anderson screaming, America loves me. Right. And she just is banging her hand on it's the so desk. Bad. It's like she has watched so many bad courtroom dramas and is just screaming about him, how America loves her. But I genuinely think that Jennifer Aniston thinks that that's her talking to the public. To her people. About like her life. I wanted it to end with, and people are going to see Charlie's Angels <laughs> because Elizabeth Banks directed it. Um, you you made the key point. It was supposed to be her big Aaron Sorkin speech. Yeah. Anytime that sentence is said, it's going to yeah. go badly. Yeah. If you have people in a room going, so this is supposed to be her big Aaron Sorkin speech. It's like, stop. No, right. don't. Don't do not do it. Don't try. It turns out that Aaron Sorkin is one of the most gifted screenwriters of yeah. our generation, which we already knew, guys. But anyone who is trying to do it, it just it's it's hard. I'm he makes go, it look easy, but it's I'm going to go basketball for a second. Okay. I know you can ride with this because okay. Zach Barron watches a lot of Sixers games yes. in, in your house. Okay. Certain people like Kobe Bryant was like this. He took terrible shots, but he made them. Mm hmm. And it was part of his whole thing. He took a lot of shots. He took, he made plays he shouldn't have made. Mm -hmm. But then other people would be like, oh, that, then I'll do that. And they would be terrible at it. Aaron Sorkin's like that. Yeah. He break, he broke a lot of conventional rules. He did things that made no sense, but it worked because he's Aaron Sorkin. He's one of the most talented people we have. Right. But then you end up with the morning show in the boardroom speech and Aniston pounding the table. I mean, I've had more conversations about how we did not appreciate the newsroom or even Studio 60 when we had it. Yeah. After watching the morning show, which is what happens when this stuff goes really wrong. I think Studio 60 is one of the big winners of this show. And that was a much maligned show. And it was like 20 times better than this show. Yeah. So let's talk about things we love about this show. Um, I love Reese and Aniston seeming to be the same age, even though it's a young upstart thing. And I'm convinced Aniston was like, there's no way you're bringing Brie Larson in here. Mm -hmm. It's not happening. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be somebody at least, at least close to me. I'm not getting blown off the screen by a younger person. It has to be Reese, but it's, it's the major flaw of the show because you can't be the young precocious America's finding out about this person upstart on television like this. When you're that age, it would have happened. That's true. It would be like seeing be like this precocious NBA player who's 41. And the character also has a tremendous amount of baggage that they introduce in episode one and then also in kick episode to the five. Side. Yeah. yeah. And then they kick to the side. But if you know anything about people who are on morning shows or have that level of fame, it's like if you have sex with a bartender in the back room. Oh, you want to talk about that now? No, I'm the just worst saying scene like, of the show? that would be on TMZ. But you can't behave that way. And Kyle. she's been doing this for 15 years. Reese kind of flips out in episode five. And decides to go get drunk, goes to the bar, good looking bartender. Yeah. Pretty good looking bartender. Yeah, he's great. Does three shots in a row in 30 seconds. Have you ever seen that in your life? No. <laughs> in 30 seconds, three shots in a row. Next scene, they're in the back where they keep the liquor. They're standing up having sex and she's got one leg kind of up. I don't, the geometry of it doesn't work at all. It, and she's going, ah, ah, with like one leg kind of sideways. And it's like, how are you guys, who thought this was a good idea? It's the worst sex scene I've ever seen. Ever. I cannot, how it's shot, the performances. The geometry the, of The motivation. It. I have no idea how this happened. Reese Witherspoon is a smart person. How is she letting herself like have that leg up for that think, long without being like, huh, I think something's off here. I think he's just having sex with her right hip. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's some new form of thing. And it's just, it's supposed to be this sexy, uh-oh, she's right. letting loose. And instead, it's one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in my life. And I just can't believe, I can't believe it made the final cut. It's also tacked on. They could have, they just could have cut it off. She could yeah. have taken the three shots in a row very quickly. And then you're like, oh no. And taken a long look at the bartender yeah. and we'd have been like, ah, oh, well, we know we where that went. We did not need to see it. It's also like motion smoothing is off in that scene for some reason. The way they lit it, it just looks like it's from a different, it's like from a, a bat. If PBS did sex scenes, that's what it looks like. Well, this, but this goes back to the Apple point. They're trying to create this streaming service, mm -hmm. but they've been very clear, like, we're not doing Breaking Bad. We're never doing the deuce. Right. Like we're, we have to be a little bit family friendly. They're kind of going for PG 13. Yes. And this is the most PG 13 sex scene of all time. I would feel comfortable with any six year old watching this sex scene. <laughs> be like, what's that? Why is, why are they dancing like that? Cause it doesn't look like sex. I don't know what's I happening. I just want to say that I'm not comfortable with six year olds <laughs> watching this. I just want that on the record. Both Maybe from just like, is ben that Simmons. appropriate? But also I don't think six year olds deserve the nightmares that that would give them. But they wouldn't even know it was sex. Don't teach them that that's what sex is. You want to give them positive examples, <laughs> not Reese Witherspoon in the back alley with bad geometry. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's gosh. so bad. Um, so, I just feel bad for her in this show. Yeah. Is that the right feeling? I think she's horribly miscast. I don't think she's that good. I don't really fully understand her character. Um, I don't know why the character's named Bradley. I think that's just fucking crazy. Why they didn't switch that. I have no idea. I mean, there's speculation that it was orig originally written for a man. And then they just were kind of doing like the gender. Jennifer Aniston's in this. Change it. She's I, I mean, her foil can't be named Bradley. I know. I actually think it's kind of funny, but I I have to assume that someone recognizes that similarity at some point and let it go because this this show seems like so noted that there's no way that didn't happen. And then she has. So we should talk about Billy Crudup. Oh, I can't believe it's taken us this long to talk about Billy Crudup. The performance of the year, in my opinion. Willa had the best line ever. I'm so jealous of it. There's been a couple things lately where other people have said stuff and I'm just like, I'm so jealous of that. I'm. <laughs> I feel like I'm slipping. I, I wish I'd come over that. She was saying how he's in a different show entirely. Mm -hmm. That it's a it's, good show. Whatever show he's in is yeah. the show I want to watch. I know. He's like, he's galaxy braiding with the script. He's like, I see all these words and this, the writing in particular, there's just like a lot of buzzwords. It's very clear that the Me Too thing happened. And so the writer's room was like, they didn't know what well, to we do. need to, no, the writer's room is like, we're going to address this head on. It's our responsibility yeah. to be brave and like talk through Me Too yeah, in and real they didn't time. Know, and they didn't know what to and do. And they don't know what to do. <laughs> so you wind up with scenes where Steve Carell is just like in a totally different set in a lawyer's room, just screaming morality clause over and over again. Right. Do you remember that? And he yeah. just set like morality clause, morality clause. Like that's literally what happens. So the script is, it has a lot of like ideas that aren't really fleshed out and a lot of things like viral video and me too and morality clause and all this and like woke Twitter, which is something that Billy Crudup has to say. But where everyone else gets freaked out by those words, Billy Crudup is like, I've seen God and I just, I know how to say this and I know what to do to make this ridiculous and fun. And I am just going to be an agent of chaos on he's basically show? one of my favorite movies ever is almost famous. Mm -hmm. He's basically playing Russell Hammond in the scene where he drops acid and goes to the high school party. Yeah. And he's just walking around with that crazy look on his face. He's playing that combined. He's with, playing that character combined with his spotlight character when he's like the really skeezy lawyer. Oh, Remember yeah. that? Yeah. He combined those two yes, characters because Corey, his character, who is like he, so he's the network president. Is that right? All right. So stop. Yeah. There. Let's talk about this. 
He's the network president. Okay. He's insane. He's <laughs> he makes rash moves and decisions and just walks around with this delirious grin on his face like a crazy person and is making like pot Everyone else is so, this is a serious show. Yeah. There's not a lot of fun happening it's in the show. very solemn. It's and like, he's journalism in, is important. And he's making pop culture jokes and I don't know what's going on. And it feels like he's ad-libbing all of his dialogue. I fully support it. I think it's the performance of the year. At one point he just yells, chaos is the new cocaine. Yeah. And which they make the title of the episode. I wonder whether that was the title of the episode before he decided to give this very inspired line reading of it. But it's that's a summary, basically, of Should what's great about, about the show. Him and Jennifer Aniston um, perform a Stephen Sondheim song. I <laughs> in episode five. I lost my mind. I honestly, I was watching it alone in my in in a room because my husband does not care about the morning show. Bad and he, move. And he came in to be like, "Are you okay?" Because of the sounds that I was making of "Oh my god, oh my god." Yeah, I cannot believe that this happened. It is like watching a train wreck and also someone winning the Super Bowl in real time. I was just like, this is amazing. It's a shame that HBO didn't run this show because I feel like, I don't know how many people have Apple Plus. My guess is that, Kyle, you don't have Apple Plus. <laughs> no, no. Anybody, Kyle, anybody your age willing to pay $5 a month for Apple Plus? Does I'm it come say free no. when you buy Apple TVs? Is that yes, a thing? Yes, it does. Oh, there you go. Kyle, I have the $5 for you. Right, I will give it to no, you in cash after this podcast. He wouldn't like this. <laughs> but I, I don't feel like a lot of people are watching this show. I've been Because trying. if they were, the Stephen Sondheim thing, I feel like that would have dominated national discussion for 36 hours. It's so bizarre. And it also starts, for a while, it's just crud up. For, let's just talk about the setup. It's at a party that Jennifer Aniston's character is hosting that I think is some sort of Broadway gala. Yeah. And so you can pay $1,000 to perform a Broadway song with the pianist who is there in the room. And people are actually doing this. And so it starts with Billy Crudup is trying to make a point to Jennifer Aniston's character. And so he starts singing. And he he has some, he, he's a Broadway actor. He has a lot of stage experience. Right, I don't but, know how much just, of it is singing. Just what you said is insane. It's really insane. Because the point he's making, he makes this very clear... What's the, what's the song? What's the beginning of the song where he's like... Nothing's going to harm you. It's from Sweeney Todd. And he's singing it right to Jennifer Aniston, which who is allegedly like the biggest morning star in America. Right. This feels like this would be a thing in the room. Like, mm -hmm. what's going on? He, why is he staring at her? Are they, are they fucking? Like, right. what, what's, why is there this weird intensity? But no. And then, but so he does a verse... And then I didn't know that it was a duet. I am not, I had forgotten. So and when so she started singing, when she started you, grabbing you the mic, died. I was just like, I can't believe that this is happening. And my wife was going, my, my wife finally got corrupted. It took a couple yeah. episodes, but yeah. um, my wife was going, she's not singing. That's not her voice. She is singing. And then there's a moment where it's like, oh, it is her voice. <laughs> she's definitely singing. Oh, she's. <laughs> No dubbing here. <laughs> She's dubbing, which I admire, actually. Yeah. I like the fact that they're just, neither of them are, you know, fantastic singers. They, they've chosen other paths. Well, so there's also a creepy Me Too-ish vibe to Billy Crudup. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Where there's that one scene when he goes into, I think, Reese's dressing room and he's just kind of behind her. Really weird. Um, she's sitting in a chair. He's standing behind her, and it's a little bit like Trump, Hillary Clinton, the debate mm -hmm. when Trump was kind of a little too close. Yeah, and it. 
so then you watch and you go, so are they planting a seed for something or is Billy Crudup just continuing to be another show? We don't have an answer to that yet. I haven't seen episode six. I think there are there are a few because they they go shopping together. They go to Barney's and she's wearing the pantsuit and they bond. And that's when he gives his speech about how his mother, Martha, was a community organizer because the show just randomly has people give speeches about biographical detail that have nothing to do with anything right. that's going on. Well, and- but she also tells him after she has sex with the bartender, she's hammered Yeah, in the hotel. And she's like, I just had sex with the bartender, which you wouldn't do if you wanted to have sex with somebody. You wouldn't tell them, I just had sex with the bartender. I think we're meant to believe that Bradley Jackson just might do that. She's a mess. She's a quote, but she's a mess, Bill. That's she's, what a me- she's, she's a, a hot mess. mess. She's a hot mess. That's what they're teaching How us. did she make it five episodes before she just had sex with a stranger? They should have... T- I, I she really had don't sex know. with the protesters in the coal mine. Though we didn't even talk about the, I, I can't remember whether it's episode three or four, but it's her first day on the morning show yeah. where within six minutes of the the morning show start, they turn it into a pro-choice, pro-life debate. It's She just immediately drops it in and then suddenly it's like a, a whole whole segment about abortion rights in America in the middle of the weird morning show. And I'm like, the whether you're allowed to say it on air, I was just like, what's happening? You guys aren't equipped to handle this. <laughs> the, the fact that we went 17 minutes without bringing that up tells you everything you know about the morning show. It comes out of nowhere. It's something nobody would ever say on live TV ever. At all. And then it becomes the focal point of one episode. But then then it's As fine. With everything else with the show, it just goes away. No, all of a sudden, the abortion uh, and pro-life, pro-choice activists are no longer outside the building. It's They're just, only there for a week. It's settled. We've settled abortion. It's, it's just, it is so astonishing. Every episode, the things that they come up with and the just the lack of development. Do you think it's like South Park where they just feel like every episode is a self-contained episode that doesn't? have to match anything that happened in the last episode? It's just all the same characters in different situations? I don't think they think that. I think that's like a great piece of criticism. Did we, who's the, who's the lady I like um, from Beyond the Limits? Google and Bathara. We got to talk about that. Oh, I, I, you haven't seen the most recent episodes, so episode six, I'll keep They're like, let's take one of the most likable younger actresses we have and give her the worst role possible. So she's the she's the booker for the morning show. So, so it's her job to show up at people's homes and be like, what I think you should do is come on this national morning show tomorrow at 7 a.m. That's a tough job. That requires a certain amount of finesse and being in the center of people's tragedies. It's a, it's a, you're harried most of the time when you yeah. have that job. She, again, seems like she's on a completely different show yeah. than everybody else, but it's not a great show. There's one scene which, oh, we didn't even talk about how they have... Um, so the the Steve Carell character we, becomes a, a sexual harasser and he is fired because of Me Too related concerns. But we're supposed to like him for they they present him as a sympathetic character, but I, not I mean, really. I I don't know what their goal is. With I, him. I don't either. I think they're trying to work through it. They're like it's complicated. I think their thesis is it's complicated to an an observer, it doesn't seem as complicated as... Seems pretty uncomplicated. Yeah, exactly. But so he is fired from the show. That's what brings Bradley Jackson, a.k.a. Reese Witherspoon, into the environment. And at some point, they decide that one of his accusers is agreeing, who worked at the morning show, agrees to come back on air. 
But that's because Gugu goes and recruits her in one of the most aggressive and upsetting fake hotel room scenes I've ever seen. It's bad. And it's just totally very weird. It's just kind of like everyone is a different energy level on this show. You know, it's funny. If Gugu had just been the Bradley Jackson character, it would have solved a lot of different problems. That's very true, though. I think because we don't need Reese Witherspoon at all in this show. And that's the, so sad to say. You and I both love Reese so much. We do. It's, it's just a misfire. It happens. Sometimes people end up. She was also bad in the softball movie. Yeah, I don't. Is this her fault or is it just that they have no idea what to do with her and they shoehorned her into a character instead of writing the character to her? It goes back to the basic fundamental problem with Reese, in my opinion. And oh. you know I love Reese. I do know you love Reese. You want her as like the, in the Ameri- America's Sweethearts role. Ironically, she could have been the Alex Levy role. Mm-hmm. She would have been fantastic at it. You want her in the Cruel Intentions, the really good person who shouldn't fall for this guy role. You don't want her like banging the bartender after three shots. She, that's not, I've never seen her pull off that character. Even in Big Little Lies, her being the one having the affair was just seemed, I, I, that wouldn't have been the character I would have picked for her. She's so type A that you can't imagine her even in a state of extreme drunkenness letting it fly in this way. Yeah. Big Little Lies, I think, got a bit closer because the affair was presented as like a lapse in her control and her trying yeah, to control everything fair. so much that she kind of, she loses it. This one, she's just flailing all around the place. And it's like, no, this is Tracy Flick from Election. This person is on her shit. She reads like eight books a week in real life. But I don't, I don't know if that's, if we feel that way because that's our history with Reese as mm-hmm. an actress or, but it's just an obstacle. And then we didn't mention they fucking Martin Short, one of my favorite people oh, on the planet. That's really tough. They bring him in as like the most loathsome Me Too guy ever. He goes to Steve Carell, and Steve Carell, over the course of them having a post tennis drink, becomes horrified by him well, so and confronts him. I was like, this would never happen. They don't have anything to do with Steve Carell because he's been fired because of the Me Too stuff, but he's then they need an, to keep him on the show. So one exile. of the subplots they give him is that he wants to start like a podcast to, like where men who have been accused of, <laughs> of harassment and sexual misconduct are like talking through it in real time. We, we're still talking to them for Ringer Podcast Hour. <laughs> they still have to tweak the idea. I don't podcast or a new series, but he basically goes to pitch Martin Short on this. And he's like, we could talk about our experiences. Can you imagine trying to get ads for that podcast? I I can't. It'd be tough. It's tough to get ads for podcasts that are terrible. Um, Yeah. That whole scene and Martin Short. Martin Short's actually really good in the scene. Yeah, It's just completely unrealistic. Um, And then we should talk about poor Mark Duplass, who's I think he's egregiously the most, miscast. Most miscast of everyone. I don't even know how to. Well, the most miscast is Aniston's foreign. What what country is he supposed to be from? <laughs> he's British. Is he straight? Is he yeah. gay? Is is it? I'm not clear. Do they have a sexual relationship? So I I'm going to let you know that in episode six, some of Jennifer Aniston's. Uh, details of the relationship with that person are clarified, but it is not until episode six that I understand what her relationship to this person is. Is he a husband? Is he an ex-husband? Certainly is not he physical. just around? Yeah. yeah. Does By he the live way, there? Does he not live there? Five episodes of we don't know if they're married, if they have sex, and if he lives in her house. Yeah. Literally no idea. He just seems shows all, up seems relevant. all of the time. They do clarify that in episode six, but I still do not know. I guess they have they have a child together. 
So we know that because the child shows up very occasionally for Jennifer Aniston. So they had sex to, once. I guess so. Yeah, that's all it takes. Carrie, Carrie was like, <laughs> my wife said, this is this relationship is the answer to in my best friend's wedding if Julia Roberts and Rupert Everett had ended up together. <laughs> they would have this would have been exactly what their relationship was like it's twenty true. years it later. That's a good one, Carrie Simmons. Like, you need to calm down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're awful. Mm-hmm. And the 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 Me Too thing, which Cress mm-hmm. with the big piece comes out, which I actually kind of like. Like everybody worrying about this piece coming out in New York Times, right? And, and they're all out. looking at their they're iPhones, all looking at their phones. That was actually is pretty well done by Apple. Yeah. So, but leads to Steve Carell just deciding to show up at the station. God, that was so uncomfortable and give a speech to everybody about how they were all family, and it's like this. Not only would never happen, I think he would go to jail. Yes. Yes. Because he was forced out of there and there's probably not allowed back at work. I mean, how does security let him in the building is a real question that I have. I feel the worst for him now that I'm thinking about it. Steve Carell. This is such a bad show for him to be on. It's such a bad part. It's such a non-win for him. Do you think he's bad in it? No, I just feel bad for him. I think he's playing Steve Carell. Yeah, I I don't think he's bad in it. I think he's doing the best with the absolute dregs of what they're giving him. I mean, we haven't even talked about how he and Jennifer Aniston just like drive around listening to Steely Dan for a while. And seem to have like a semi-sexual chemistry. I think it is implied at some point that they did have a relationship. Yeah. And we also didn't mention how funny it is her pretending to be an anchor. Jennifer Aniston she, did not did not get enough coaching on the whole. So they're supposed to be bad. I think like part of oh. the thing is that the sh- well the show needs to be saved, right? That's one of the major narratives. Besides the, the whole Steve Carell's niche yeah. character, it's just kind of like the show is is stale. So that's why they bring in Bradley Jackson. But even Bradley for them Jackson. being bad at morning TV, they're so bad at morning television. It reminds me that that was the Studio 60 flaw, right? Yeah. The sketches were bad. Their morning show, it's like, okay, Bradley, well, coming up next. It's, it's like so- if you and I tried to do a morning show right now, it would be as good. Um, how many more episodes are there? Uh, I believe there are five more. There are 10. Okay. You're coming back at the, after the season finale. I can't, I can't wait. wait. This is the only thing I like talking about. So uh, thank you. You can listen to a man on the Ringer Dish. Yes. My favorite Ringer podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you, Bill. Jam session, a whole bunch of other things on. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Bill. All right. Thanks to Mallory and Amanda. Thanks to State Farm. Thanks to Pepsi. They're taking NFL celebrations to the next level. Whether it's a Hail Mary touchdown, offensive stop in the goal line, or a Super Bowl win. When it's time to celebrate, it's time to crack open. A delicious Pepsi. Pepsi, the official sponsor of the NFL, reminds you to always be celebrating. And thanks to Allbirds, all stylish, comfortable, sustainable. They come in a wide range of colors inspired by nature. A variety of silhouettes keep you looking your best in whatever situation you find yourself in this holiday season. The perfect gift to make the holidays a little more comfortable for everyone on your list. Give the gift of comfort this holiday season or get a pair for yourself at allbirds.com. See you Sunday night.